You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramilla, credentialed reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Saturday night, the Miami Heat took on the Utah Jazz, the team with the best record in the league. Things went well for about 24 minutes. I'll break down the game, get into a disastrous third quarter for Miami and what went wrong for the Heat, and then answer some of your listener questions. I wanted to recap the game following the actual game, but let me be honest with you. It was a late-night start for the Heat, and it was so abysmal. Kind of depressing, actually. So now, t- less than 24 hours later, cooler heads prevail, and it's not quite as dire, I think. There were mistakes, maybe some positives. Overall, I think there are things that you can take away from here. And look, Miami has to continue on. That was just game two of a seven-game homestand. I'm sorry, seven-game road trip. They're going to have to put that behind them very quickly. That's in the rearview mirror as soon as you leave the Vivint Arena. I think that's what it's called, where the Jazz play. And the Clippers are your next opponent on Monday night. So there's going to be a lot of late nights for years, truly. But I didn't want to get into the Jazz game because for a couple of quarters, things actually look pretty promising for Miami. They start out that first quarter looking somewhat dominant. Held Utah, one of the best shooting teams in the league, to just one of 12 shooting. Miami was actually able to outscore the Jazz 21-18 to in the period. They actually, I think, had a, a 10-point lead at some point. It was looking like Miami came out there with a the kind of purpose that you were hoping for because this is a challenging team. This is your chance to make your stand to say, we belong here. We're, we are one of the best teams in the league. We weren't just a fluke last season. Fortunately, it didn't pan out that way in the second half. In the first quarter, things looked promising. The second quarter, Utah got some of their mojo back. Uh, Mitchell... Donovan Mitchell, who remains one of the biggest regrets, uh, I think, for this franchise. Not quite because you get Bam Adebayo a pick afterwards, but Mitchell could have been Miami's star player. I mean, look, it's not worth rehashing that. I'm I'm still hopeful that somehow that marriage will play out down the road because I I just feel like Mitchell would be such a great fit in Miami. You know, he just started cooking early in that second quarter after struggling a little bit in the first uh, Jimmy was the, the defining heat score up to that point, just getting to the line. He did wind up with 12 free throw attempts. That was the bulk of Miami's free throw attempts. They only attempted 17 of the game. Jimmy went 8 of 12. The rest of the team, just 4 of 5. So, you know, that was uh, basically the story of the game here. But I did want to talk a little bit about some of the things that, to me, really stood out as far as the the, the – the negatives of the game. I want to get into the third quarter and break that down specifically because I think it that really was the defining moment of, of the game itself. Miami went into halftime down five. They could have turned things around, maybe continue to compete. They had the energy. They looked like they were going to do pretty well. Look, my, uh, Miami responded to a Utah run in the second quarter where Utah went on a 14-0 run. Held Miami pretty much scoreless during that stretch uh, for a long stretch of the quarter. And then they responded with a 6-2 to run of their own to kind of get back into it. It looked like things might start to blow up pretty badly for Miami. But they responded. And that's the kind of energy you want to see from that team, right? Where you see, okay, we're getting beat. We're on the road. 
we can still do this. We can still turn things around, even against arguably the best team in the NBA. So that is overall a positive, but it just didn't sustain. It just it wasn't there, that energy. And it leads to a bigger question that I want to address later on in this segment. But as far as some of the negatives and positives from the game, Jimmy looked really bad. Uh, I don't think it was injury. I don't think it was defense, although Royce O'Neal is a hell of a defender and probably not getting the kind of credit he deserves. But Jimmy just went 3 of 10 overall. Again, 8 of 12 from the line. That was the bulk of his scoring. Finished with 15 points. He just looked apprehensive. Some of those shots that should have fallen just didn't. And I give Utah zero credit on some of those shots. Like, he got his shot blocked a couple of times. He turned the ball over three times in total. I know Utah's a good defensive team. I also don't think that they were responsible for most of Miami's struggle offensively when they only went and shot 40% from the field and 33% from three-point range. Uh, I don't think it was up to Utah's defense. I think a lot of that was Miami's mental mistakes. They did some good things on Duncan Robinson in particular. They held him to just eight points, only six field goal attempts, two of four from three-point range. So they did key in on Duncan as many teams around the league are doing, maybe they were just able to implement those things a little bit better. But there were struggles offensively from Miami's bench. There was also some issues with Kelly Olenek. He didn't play particularly well. He finished 3 of 8 overall, 0 for 4 from 3-point range. That's a big glaring concern because there was nobody on that starting unit to keep Utah's defense honest. No legitimate long-range threat. Because the one threat that you have, Duncan Robinson was basically limited. Kendrick Nunn finished four of nine from three-point range, but you kind of just live with those shots. And a lot of those just seemed like they were blown up plays. He was uh, the release valve at the end of the shot clock. You kick him the ball, and he's going to make something happen because he is so speedy, and he had that shot going. Like, I mean, he finished twenty with 23 points, so good for him having a big night overall when nobody else in that starting lineup really seemed to be able to match him. Uh, Miami's bench, as I mentioned before, a struggle. Tyler looked good early on. Uh, he did come back a little bit too late into that third quarter for my taste because I think he was one of the few players along with Kendrick and maybe Max Struess that looked like they weren't afraid of the challenge or maybe just – I just feel like perhaps because of their long range or at least their ability to create their shot and knock down those shots, they felt like they weren't as intimidated by the presence of Rudy Gobert, which I'll get into in the third quarter. But I, I think – I, I do think that they could have gotten more production from some of their bench players, and it's starting to look a little bit thin there. Like, Precious Achua is continuing to struggle a little bit. Andre Iguodala, 17 minutes, scoreless. Casey Opala played two minutes. Gabe Vincent played two minutes. You got 27 points, basically, from their bench. 12 for Tyler Hero, 15 for Max Struess. The positive of that is that Max Struess does seem like he is the real deal. Maybe some of those points came late in the fourth quarter, or midway through the fourth quarter, when the game was pretty much out of range anyway. But I think he is capable of being a contributor moving forward. Six of nine overall from the field. Three of six from three-point range. So he was mixing it up a little bit. Finished with another dunk. Had a nice cut and fine from Bam and Abayo to led to a, a dunk from Max Struess. So I think he's going to be a rotational play, player moving forward. That's a positive. I, I also think Kendrick Nunn's continuing aggression if nothing else, I know I have been maybe not critical, but I feel like there are moments there where you kind of have to live and die with whether or not Kendrick is knocking down those shots. You know he's going to look to take that shot frequently, but at least he had it dialed up yesterday. So that's a positive from the whole event. But what's the biggest takeaway from all this? 
it was an opportunity for Miami to prove that they belong, and they didn't show that at all. And that's the issue when you look at this team is you can debate whether or not they were a fluke in the bubble. You can debate whether or not COVID and everything else is an issue and that they've had some real major time missed from key players. But this is also an opportunity for superstars, all-stars at the very least, and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to prove that they were capable of carrying a team, to push them forward to victories, to at least challenge the Utah Jazz, and they fell flat. I didn't expect a victory. It would have been a miraculous win if they had found a way to pull it off. Because while Utah gave up a lot of shot opportunities, maybe that they don't normally do, and they struggle offensively as well, but as far as whether or not they're capable of holding their own against the better teams in the league... It just doesn't seem that likely. Maybe it would have shifted with Goran Dragic. Maybe if you get a defensive player like Avery Bradley to throw a Donovan Mitchell early on, maybe the outcome of this game is very different. But for now, I just, I, it was missing from Jimmy when he needed to bring it most. That he got to the line, that he was able to fool referees on more than a few occasions and draw fouls somewhat cheaply, that's what Jimmy can do. But he still has to find ways to score. Bam. Still has to find ways to score. Bam was aggressive. It didn't pan out for him. And he wasn't aggressive at moments when he needed to be, particularly in the third quarter. What happened during that collapse where that led to a 21-point lead from the Utah Jazz? I'll break it down here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. Listen, if you want to place a bet, bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action and even more. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and of course the NHL are in full swing. And bet online even covers awards and TV shows and reality TV. There's so much to choose from. It's amazing. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. And bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds. So it's the best place to find your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Get more of the sports you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. So I was kind of inspired to do this because I was listening to our network founder, David Locke, who is the radio play-by-play man for the Utah Jazz. And he was pretty excited about last night's game. If you hear that podcast, and you should because they're a very, very good team. He could not stop talking about Rudy Gobert. And this seems to be a failing of the of Jazz fans in general. They cannot stop talking about Gobert. Like, I, I love Rudy Gobert. I think he's somewhat maligned because of what happened when he was supposed to be the face of COVID in the NBA last year. I think he's also he's, – he's gone the opposite end of the spectrum where the Jazz – platitudes about Gobert's impact are so over the top that it's it becomes nauseating like I I like Gobert as a defensive player he's my defensive player of the year almost every year because I just I feel that strongly about his overall impact you can hear Eric Reed and John Crotty talking about what Gobert does I think that's pretty well established but come on they make him sound like he's a, a near MVP type player every single play and so I went and looked at the third quarter because in David Locke's words he Gobert Pitched a shutout. And that was, well, it's true in the sense that Miami went scoreless. 
But it's also true in that Gobert didn't have much of an impact in that. And and that's my takeaway from the third quarter as I was watching it. Look, halftime and Miami's down at five. The first possession, Royce O'Neal starts off guarding Bam at a bio. He's wide open, and then he kicks it out to Kelly Olenek, who's also wide open for a three-point shot. He misses it. On the other end, Donovan scores easily. All of a sudden, Utah's up seven. On a second possession from the Heat, Bam brings the ball up, and he walks the ball up. And that's part of the problem is that it seemed like they were really slow in initiating offense. And against a team like the Jazz, you're basically giving Gobert an opportunity to camp out in the paint. And boy, did he ever, in that second possession, go look it up. He was in the paint for 8.7 seconds, both feet in. Not kind of dangling around, not anything, both feet in. The, the action was away from the paint, so nobody was watching what Gobert did. And Eric Spolster didn't point it out. And it's something that you only notice if you go back and watch the replay. But he is basically living out in the paint. And I think he does that a lot more often than people expect. Because, again, you're watching away from the action. You've got Jimmy Butler holding on to the ball or Duncan cutting around screens. And that attracts all referees' attention. In the meantime, Gobert is kind of hanging back there, I think. Not just is he is he spending more than three seconds in the paint. It's probably illegal defense on 50% of their possessions. But Bam... Screens for Jimmy, he rolls to the paint and then settles for a contested jumper anyway. This is the problem with the Bam-Jimmy pick-and-roll situation, is that Bam was setting the screen for Jimmy, and then there's this moment there when Gobert actually drops in coverage to, again, protect the paint, protect the actual rim, and Jimmy is kind of being guarded, well, he's guarded by Royce O'Neal or, or Joel Ingles, both of which are pretty solid defenders, O'Neal in particular. And as Bam rolls, he's wide open. He's not a threat, though, because he's not looking to take that shot. There is at least a second or two when he's got plenty of room to spot up and let go a jumper. But he's not even looking for that shot. Instead, he winds up holding the ball, over-dribbling, the shot clock is almost near expiration. He winds up taking a contestant shot. That gives Gobert plenty of opportunity to get away from the paint, realizing, well, hell, Adebayo has to do something with it. We go and guard Bam directly, and he winds up having to take a contested shot over Rudy Gobert. Of course, he winds up missing the shot completely. Donovan winds up scoring the next possession for Utah. On Miami's third possession of the, of the third quarter, another pick and roll with Jimmy and Bam. Same thing. Plenty of space there. Jimmy over dribbles, gives it to Bam. Bam has space, doesn't look to take that shot. Duncan is being heavily guarded at this point. Kendrick, Duncan, they're all just watching the ball as Jimmy and Bam kill the clock. KO is in the corner, wondering, watching. At least he's there near the action. And then Jimmy winds up trying to initiate a mid-range jumper. He gets blocked from behind by Royce O'Neal. On the other end, Donovan Mitchell scores a three-pointer. So it's a 7-0 run from Donovan Mitchell at this point. Miami is now down 12, 54 to 42. A timeout is taken by Eric Spolstra on Miami's fourth possession of the third quarter. Another pick and roll with Jimmy and Bam. Bam rolls. Jimmy goes one-on-one -on, -one on the baseline on Bogdanovich. Winds up taking a good shot that rims out. So that wasn't Particularly good defense. It wasn't even particularly bad offense. That's a totally makeable shot. Just a bad night for Jimmy. On the fifth possession, I'm sorry, a free throw from Donovan. Mitchell puts the score up 55-42, to 42, so now a 13-0 lead. I'm sorry, 13-point lead and a 8-0 run for Donovan Mitchell against the Heat. On the fifth possession, Jimmy walks up the ball again. Bam is in the high post. 
He looks at Duncan, and Ingles is on him like glue. And this is something that Cooper Moorhead of Heat.com has been tweeting about today, Sunday, talking about how other teams are just guarding him because they're basically defending him completely by just staying on him. They're making it so difficult for him to get any space so they can't run that pick and roll, the dribble handoffs that they do so effectively that they've taken out a whole facet of Miami's offense almost single-handedly. Jimmy sets a staggered screen for Kelly Olenek. Olenek winds up pulling back uh, up to the three-point line, looks for, like, looks for a good shot and takes it. And it's not a bad shot. It just falls short, hits the front of the rim, and then leads to a Donovan Mitchell miss on the next possession for Utah. On Miami's sixth possession of the third quarter, KO winds up bringing the ball up. Jimmy winds up driving to the, the, the rim. He's met by Gobert. Then Kendrick winds up getting the ball. He drives into the rim. He's met by Gobert, but he does a smart thing. He winds up pulling back out to the three-point line, and he lets it fly. He takes his shot. And Bam gets the rebound and is fouled on the next on that possession. So that's the difference in that Jimmy is not a legitimate three-point threat. At least Kendrick Nunn is willing to take that shot. And there's a certain amount of gravity there so that you can take Gobert out of the paint. It led to an easy rebound for Bam Adebayo, who wound up getting fouled by the much smaller Donovan Mitchell. And this is also a difference in that Goran Dragic would have made for this team. If he's out there, he's a three-point shooter. You know he's going to be able to take that shot. It forces Utah to reconsider the way they, they run their defense. Of course, after the inbound by Jimmy Butler, he takes another mid-range shot, winds up missing it. Then Joe Ingles, three on the other end, pushes their lead up to 16. On the seventh possession of the third quarter, Bam finally pushes the ball up. He actually initiates offense from the high post I mean, with about 18 seconds left in the shot clock. So maybe four or five seconds total to bring the ball up after the inbounds, after Ingles' three-pointer. He sets a, a moving screen for Duncan Robinson, uh, who kicks it back out, and Bam takes a 19-footer. Not a bad shot, but also one that he misses. 12 seconds of, on the shot clock are, are used at that point, which is fine because these are quick possessions. You're looking to push the pace up. Utah likes to slow things down a lot. An O'Neal miss on the other end leads to a Bam fast break where he, drink, he brings the ball up. He drives past Rodi Gobert. He, he goes right at Gobert. Winds up taking a good-looking floater in the lane that winds up rimming out. Not a bad possession from him. So some of these shots, this is why I think the Gobert impact is somewhat overstated. I don't think it challenged the way Bam ran that play. I don't think it did anything. Maybe it didn't lead to a wide-open dunk. But at the same time, that's a totally makeable shot from Bam that he's done a number of times this year. An Ingles three on the other end pushes the lead up to 19 there's eight minutes left in the third quarter. Less than four minutes have passed, and all of a sudden that lead is phenomenally huge. On an eighth possession from Miami, a steal from Royce O'Neal leads to a fast break dunk on the other end, and the Utah Jazz, with seven minutes and 46 seconds left in the third quarter, are up 21 points, 63 to 42. And at that point, I just stopped watching. Takeaways, they're bringing the ball up too slowly. They let Utah dictate the pace. Bam needs to be more aggressive looking for that mid-range shot. He, he needs to take that shot early enough. Whether it's hitting or not, at least it pulls Gobert away. Use Duncan by the rim. Get him around the rim to, to be able to you know get those rebounds. If he's being guarded so closely by Joe Ingles, well, hell, take Ingles out of the action. It's not like he's going to block shots at the rim anyway. Put Duncan by the rim. Let Bam take that shot. Invert the offense. Do something different. Make a little change there because, honestly, that just looked completely flat 
funky. It wasn't working. You need to do more. You need to do something different. And they just weren't doing it quickly enough, too. That's another thing. Goran Dragic needs to be out there because he pushes that pace up so much. He would have been able to at least initiate offense somewhat more quickly than Jimmy and Bam walking the ball up for most of that horrendous stretch for Miami. Should Eric Spolster be getting some criticism for the team's record? I'll answer that and more when I get to your listener questions in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. You know, maybe that he could have used a built Bar. Not just the best-tasting protein bar ever, but one filled with all the nutrients that you need to get you going. If you need a snack to help you maybe not give up a 21-point lead in the third quarter, then built Bar is a way for you because there are so many flavors to choose from. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're all soft and easy to chew. They're all delicious. And again, they're great for the health-conscious people like the Miami Heat or like you who are looking to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in an occasional delicious treat. Bilt Bars are a great choice. And right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your next order. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Small market meets big market Wednesdays on the Locked On NBA podcast. Join Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast and John Corrales of Locked On Celtics for a look at the NBA week from all angles. Subscribe to Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Now, I'll throw in, of course, that the Tuesday show is hosted by none other than yours truly. So try and check out the Locked On NBA podcast. If nothing else, go subscribe, leave a review, say how fantastic me and my former Locked On Heat co-host Wes Goldberg are on Tuesdays. But I'll answer some of your questions now. I'll try to wrap it up so it's a fairly short segment to kick off the week. This one comes in from Webby, who says, Resigning Duncan Robinson for over $10 million would be a sign of heart overhead. The league has figured out how to guard him, and now the poor kid is at times unplayable. I can't say... <laughs> I, I I don't know. I really don't. Like, obviously in that game, unplayable may not have been the right term. But there are limitations to what you can do with Duncan. If nobody else is out there to at least draw defenses as a three-point shooter, then what Duncan does is certainly capable of being mitigated. You can stop Duncan. You can limit him. And that defense that Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, and others, Royce O'Neal on some occasions, were implementing where they're just basically guarding him, where they're denying him to even get the ball, staying with him constantly, just tagging him, tagging him, tagging him, tiring him. Make, making sure that there is at least a, a physical roadblock to keep him from getting those dribble handoffs with Bam, then, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. I, I don't know. He's not he, – you have to change the offense, and Miami just doesn't have the time or the luxury to implement something different this year. They wanted to do a lot of what they were doing last season because their personnel was mostly the same, and it made sense. And, and unfortunately, the rest of the league has cut on to some degree. They've tried to deny – him the same way that Kyle Korver has historically been limited in the playoffs because, well, you figure out, just stay with him, and you deny him getting those open looks, and, and it's worked. So I don't know whether or not Miami should resign him or not. My feeling is $10 million seems like a bargain for a guy like Duncan Robinson who's capable of shooting as well as he is and has shown signs of, of being committed to the work and the grind here in Miami. So I, I feel like they'll reward him with that. I feel like they'll probably offer him much more. And if not, he's going to get that somewhere else. I, I think even with the obvious struggles this season, somebody else is going to look at what he can do and say, we'll figure it out. 
We'll get him the opportunity. We'll get him easier looks. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Look at Wayne Ellington. Uh, this next one comes in from Henry, who writes in, after this game, is it proof enough that we need some roster change moving forward? I don't think that was ever in doubt, Henry. I'll be honest with you. I, I just I don't know that there's a move to be made. The rumor is that uh, uh, Miami is interested in Sacramento Kings forward center Neyman Mejalitsa. I'm probably butchering the hell out of that pronunciation, but he's a big shooter who can stretch the floor, European player, savvy, passer, etc. Not a great defender. I don't know that he's going to make up for any kind of multitude of Miami's faults. If anything, he seems like a lesser version of Kelly Olenek that seems to draw so so much criticism from Heat fans already. I'm not sure. He's a guy that you can use your trade exception for, uh, coming off of Myers Leonard and his uh, season-ending shoulder surgery. You can acquire him fairly easy, so that makes sense if you're just looking to shore up that. But if you're going to get Bielitsa, at the very least, it has to be the first of other moves. You've got to trade Olenek. you got to trade somebody else there to clear up something and get somebody that's going to be adding something that is currently missing from this team. There's already a seven-footer that can shoot the three. It's Olenek. I mean, you had that in Myers-Leonard. You don't have it anymore, so I understand why that might be a concern. But I don't know that either Olenek or Leonard were such a big part of Miami's offense that you want to target a player like them. Get yourself a wing defender. Get yourself a switchable four. Get yourself a scoring guard or a guy who can initiate offense. Because right now that's clearly something that Miami is missing. So to me, those are the bigger areas of concern than just getting a duplicate of what Kelly Olenek brings and less effectively. Jeff Nicholas, who you should be following him on Twitter if you're not already because he provides some really great statistical input. He's really, really good. Uh, A contributor to Hot Hot Hoops, if I'm not mistaken, and also you know, just has some really savvy analysis, so make sure you're following him. He he asked the question, why won't Spobot play KZ Opala and Gabe Vincent more? Spobot, of course, Eric uh, Eric Spolstra, I guess a nickname that Jeff has uh, uh, given Spo. This next question also comes in from Juan Fermenieta, who asks, will any heat, no pun intended, be placed on Eric Spolstra now after 20-plus games, or is COVID an injury? Are they still valid excuses? So kind of a double-edged question there, uh, different different look ways of looking at whether or not Eric Spolstra might be making mistakes. And I'd say to Jeff's question, why won't he play KZ and Vincent more? Because Vincent's deceived offensively, and while he might be able to provide some long-range shooting, you're getting more out of that from Max Struess, I think. Uh, Vincent's scoring has been a little off. I just I don't know that Gabe Vincent provides anything as an undersized guard that can occasionally knock that ball down from the perimeter. Other than that, can he get to the rim? Sure. Can he play some solid defense? He'll try. But he's also not a great defender, and I, I just and I think the KZ Okpala ship has sailed. Like I tweeted jokingly yesterday before the Utah Jazz game that when the Bielitsa rumor was starting to build a little steam, they have to waive a player in order to do so. And I, I joked that you know it was going to be Okpala. Nobody seems to think that that's the case. I don't even think that's really the case. But he's fallen out of favor hard. Like, he is not getting any playing time. He, he got two minutes yesterday, and I just don't know what they're seeing or not seeing from him, but I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. To Juanfer's question, no, there will not be any heat placed on Eric Spolstra. This is his team. He did a phenomenal job last year in the bubble. I think have built an incredible amount of cushion and goodwill. I, unless Jimmy Butler specifically goes to the front office and says, 
Eric Spolstra sucks, he doesn't do the job well, uh, I can't play for him or something like that, where you start to have legitimate questions about whether or not Spo is a good coach or, or, or capable of working with you know players like Jimmy, which is obviously not the case, there's no chance. Like I, I think Spo is Spo can write his ticket here. Like yeah, he puts more pressure on himself to succeed than anybody in the front office could possibly put on him. So I I, I don't think there will ever be an issue regarding Spo standing. If he feels like he can't get to this team or can't get to a team in the future, he will resign. He will go up to the front office and say, I can't do this. I can't work with X player. And if, if you know, look, Hassan Whiteside, Spoke couldn't get to him anymore, and they traded Hassan. So I, I think that's more of an indicator than anything else regarding what happens with Spo and, and whether or not uh, he has a, a short leash with his front office. I, I don't think he does. Uh, are they still valid excuses regarding COVID-19 and the injuries that have led to Miami starting, what, 17 different starting lineups this season? Yeah. There's still valid excuses, but nothing else because you cannot gauge what this team is capable of when they're missing some significantly key players. Like, yes, they should have played better. Jimmy in particular, Bam to a lesser degree, should have played better. Other teams are figuring out what KO and Duncan can do. Kendrick Dunn is up and down. You never know what you're going to get from him. But without Goran Dragic to provide the boost offensively that he has so often done throughout his career – and for Avery Bradley, your big offseason acquisition, not to be there to limit what Donovan Mitchell can do, they could have swung the game in your favor. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, which a lot of people seem to be overlooking, but they are key contributors. Anyway, that wraps it up for this show. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support. <laughs>